Hey, it's Bill Simmons from The Ringer, and this is a podcast called The Rewatchables. We have been doing it really since 2017. It started with how much we love the movie Heat. We decided to structure a whole podcast with categories, most rewatchable scene, who won the movie, Apex Mountain, what age the best. But here's the thing. If you want the full archive, you can hear them only on Spotify for free, by the way. So make sure to follow The Rewatchables on Spotify. It's the Ringer NBA show presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find out what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available. And listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 years and older, 18 and older in D.C., and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Hyundai. Whether it's taking all your little ones to their sporting events or everybody getting together and taking a ride to the beach, the all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped for any adventure. With features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud. Or standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Hello and welcome to Group Chat. I am Justin Barrier. Joining me, as always, Rob Mahoney, Big Waz, and gentlemen at the top of these podcasts, we get real deep. I want to ask you a very important question here. So if I was just yelling at too many people online and I decided to retire because I could no longer handle that, <laughs> would you guys be my Adam Silvers and talk me out of it? <laughs> I wouldn't talk you out of that. I feel like we've tried to talk you into social media retirement many times <laughs> unsuccessfully. But your your anger cannot be contained. I would probably be more your Steve Kerr and just pull up and just cry with you. Yeah. We would chat some tears together. I'll be your like headspace.com or whatever. And, you know, (laughs) do a sponsored segment with you, like a recurring video series. We'll we'll hook something up. But the important thing is we need to keep you here. We need to keep you focused Mm. on the task at hand. Keep the main thing the main thing. Draymond is not allowed to argue with the refs anymore, or at least the Warriors are trying to discourage him from that. We're trying to keep you focused, Justin, on what really matters, and that is our bullshit here on a biweekly basis. Well, like Draymond, I'm hoping to just spin this off into content that I could sell on a podcast. So this is actually perfect. Justin's journey, TM. We we look forward to the special <laughs> off-season series. We, we're not gonna that's not on the docket today but I, I have to ask just off the top was what did you what did you think about Draymond coming back and doing the exclusive on the Draymond Green podcast it's very on brand I mean he's clearly a pretty dramatic melodramatic some would say type of dude so I'm not surprised that he comes out and he thinks This is, you know, the version of his mea culpa that the public so desperately wants and needs. 
I think most people just like just go out and hoop like a normal person hoops without hitting people in the nuts, punching people in the face, putting people in headlocks. 99.999% of hoopers manage to do it year in and year out. Um, but yeah, this is Draymond, you know, his own delusions of grandeur and the importance of his own narrative and story. I'm not surprised by none of this. It is goofy that the subtext of all the questions to Draymond at this point are like, how do you go about restraining the urge to put people in headlocks? Like, do you think it's within your power to prevent this behavior? And those are questions that should and have to be asked. But the fact that we're here is insane. Let me tell you, it is possible. And I am proof in that concept. Okay. No headlocks for me these days. Not a single um, one. Well, well, there's still time today. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I have to say, it just it reminds me of the good old days back when LeBron was with the Heat, with the Cavs, where like there's just something news every day. There's like a fire hose uh, <laughs> of drama with this team that we haven't seen in years. And so I appreciate uh, a, a historic run here for, for the Warriors, if not on the court, then, then off the court. All right, before we get to the rest of the show, we got some news Right off the top from this morning from various newsbreaker. Rob, I think you know what that means. <laughs> that was a different part of the throat you used there. I'm trying to diversify. Yeah, you know, you can't stay the same. We're always adding. We're always growing. You got to come back a little better every podcast, Justin. I appreciate it. Well, according to Sham Sharania, Kawhi Leonard of the Los Angeles Clippers signed a new three-year, $152.4 million contract extension. So Kawhi had a player option for next year. He opts out of that. Tax on three more years. So this year, plus three years. Uh, no player option. Fully guaranteed. I'm a little surprised, I guess, on the one hand, Rob, if the Clippers are going to keep going with this core into their new lovely building uh, on the west side of Los Angeles. You're going to need some stars to do so, and they're playing well, so that helps. On the other hand, this is three years for a guy who, up until this point, hasn't been able to stay on the court. So are you surprised by this announcement? Well, up until this point is, I think, the important part of that. Yeah. Kawhi's playing more or less every game, active, engaged, really, really effective. And the, frankly, this is elite team behavior. This is a team that's very confident in what they've been able to put together since the James Harden trade. And let me tell you, they have every reason to feel that confident. This team is legit, feels real, feels well-balanced. And if your stars are bought in to stay, you don't mess with that. Yeah, this was just always going to be the outcome. The Clippers have essentially been committed to this iteration of the team for years now. There's no oh, we trade Kawhi and George for parts and picks. Like, no. And, of course, what's looming is the opening of their brand-new cathedral of a stadium, right? Um, and so the idea that they were ever going to move on from this group, that was just never a realistic one, that they would open that arena with a bunch of role players and also rands like the Nets have, for instance, this year. You know, a team that famously had to, you know, take take apart a super team. They weren't doing that to go into their new arena. Their owner's rich enough to eat this. Um, and so this was always going to happen. They were always going to extend him. They're going to extend Paul George. 
They're going to extend James Harden, y'all. Um, they're going to keep this thing on rolling uh, because it's the only like viable option here. Nothing else makes sense. I, I think the surprise factor is just that they have crawled through a river of shit and gotten to this point. They're in Zuwataneo right now, and they are deciding, you know what? You know what I need in my life is another river of shit. That was actually a fun time for me. Let's just go through that again, because this is a lot of long-term money you're giving to a guy who just like hasn't been able to stay in the court. And like, I get it when he has played this year, we should just stop and say, Kawhi's been fantastic. Very like, good. Top 10, maybe top five level of player. They win when he plays. That's not a coincidence. It's just, it's tough to think that you went through all of this trauma over the past few years and you're like, Let, let's do this again. Like, I, I hope at the very least Steve Ballmer's hand or Lawrence Frank's hand was shaking when you signed the contract, at least, Rob. But what else would you have them do? You Well, you could just play out the season and then turn the page. You could just say, hey, we did this season. We were great. That's it. Sayonara, guys. We're going to rebuild. Why? Why would you? Why would you do? They might. They could win the Western Conference. This team is that good. I just don't see what the point of that would be. And again, you know, we have to remember the Detroit Pistons and all of this. Rebuilding always sounds great. Ask the Charlotte Hornets. Ask the Pistons. Ask the Magic. Post Dwight Howard, where they spent 10 years in the wilderness. Like, it sounds so good. But it doesn't always pan out the way that you would like it to. And yeah, I get it. We're, we're all enamored of what's going on in OKC. But they're the exception, honestly. It doesn't always go that way when you do some hard rebuild. And again, like, you can't overstate. Steve Ballmer paid James Dolan three, three or $400 million because he was trying to tie him up in court over this new arena. So he just bought the forum from him. He just said, I'm done with you. Here's $400 million. Like, they were really dead set on starting this new Clipper chapter in Inglewood with this new arena. And so the idea that they would just show up with spare parts and expect the people of Los Angeles to drive to Inglewood to be a part of it. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's insane. It's not realistic. I'm not going to Inglewood. Yeah. It's not realistic. And so I, this makes perfect sense to me. Now, I see. I, I guess I'm not necessarily suggesting that they should rebuild or that I'm surprised that they didn't just like tear it down and play through a mere coffee, for instance. I think it's just more that like I I I think about the emotional toll of the past few years and to do that again to like even most recently when Kawhi has an injury, misses a few games, no one knows what the fuck is going on. Like just like I hope at the very least they got their employees, some of the underlings who are dealing with the day-to-day -day of the Kawhi Leonard experience, like better help subscriptions. Or like massage certificates for Justin like a couple always times. Always worried a year. about the employees and the middle management over here. This guy. I'm, I'm for I'm for the little guys, you know. I don't. I've never found that to be true. Yes, it's not really. Yeah. <laughs> but this is what you go through all that stuff for: the hard years, yeah. the injured years, the lean yeah. years of Clippers history. Is for this moment in time. This is the best, most actualized version of this Clippers experiment yet. And it's because they finally have the playmaking that they've needed for so long. So you have the length on the perimeter. You have the wings. You have pretty good depth. Maybe not as quite as much as you would like or quite as much in certain places as you would like, but a really good, complete team. We were just talking about them as, as one of the only teams in the West that's been top 10 on both sides of the ball. 
you don't give that up and you invest in it. You keep cultivating, you keep growing it because the reality is this Clippers team could get better. Like they're just learning each other and they're already this good. If you're able to continue that, that growth, that process while adding to this roster around the edges, why aren't you paying Kawhi Leonard whatever he wants to stick around for a couple of years? Like superstars cost money. That's the way this works. What this reminds me of was when Kyrie Irving played ball for like three weeks right before the trade deadline and then like hit the eject button. It was like, uh, see ya. This is like the opposite of that where Kawhi has like two months of very good basketball and he's like, all right, now pay me now for the rest of my career. Like That's good negotiating. <laughs> it's very good negotiating. 52 million is what this guy's getting. But I have to say, like, Rob, you said finals for the Clippers. They I could. We both kind of talk it around there. Like, uh, are we thinking them or Denver are probably the safest bets at this point? So I go through this exercise a lot, in part because I have such enduring and overwhelming faith in this Thunder team that I think they are going to be Denver's kind of date in the Western Conference Finals. Hmm. But the Clippers hmm. are the first challenger to really give that idea a pause. Minnesota's been great. I'm not trying to take anything away from the Timberwolves, but I worry about their offense in a playoff setting. The Clippers, though, they have the experience. They have veterans. They have a lot of guys who could really deliver in these moments. And you have, most importantly, the Kawhis to deliver when the James Hardens don't. Okay. The experience so, they have is is uh, James Harden's experience in the postseason. I mean, he's, <laughs> they're he's, bringing that experience to bear. He's part of he's part of the formula, and admittedly, there's a reason why I like the Thunder and kind of the effervescence of their style of play relative to the Clippers. But the Clippers the Clippers are such a serious, effective, methodical team right now. I don't know how you talk your way around that without thinking of them as a legitimate contender. What do you think, Waz? Yeah, I mean, as much of if we're calling OKC a contender, I have to call the Clippers a contender, right? Like they have a group of players that have had way more playoff success and are reasonably close to the level of player that they were when they enjoyed said success. In Kawhi Leonard and Paul, Paul George has been the conference championships. He's been in huge playoff series. Like these guys have been in huge games and delivered in huge games in their past. And so, yeah, if if we're calling OKC this upstart a contender, it, like there's no, there's no world in which the Clippers aren't also. And so, yeah, I, I think it's nice to see that they've turn this thing around and and like the things that they're doing on the court makes sense. There's a logic to it, um, a cohesion to it. And so yeah, I'm 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 definitely in the Rob camp in the sense that yeah, if 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 the Wolves are in the next tier after the Nuggets, then so are the Clippers and and definitely I would say these days now OKC as well. And just in case anyone out there is charting the continuity of the group chat cinematic universe, I said that the Clippers could beat the Nuggets, but they won't. No, 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 <laughs> that that won't. Who be suggested that? Who said? <laughs> no, no, it's just, no, it's just I, for I said it earlier that like this is a team that could beat the Nuggets. This is a team that and, could make the NBA Finals. You guys need help. I'm, I'm going to get you guys. A, a I want to clarify something else that's Clipper related <laughs> as well. Um, just so everybody knows, James Harden is going to get paid. He's going to yes. get paid. So he's not technically extension eligible right now, but the right. deal is coming. The deal is happening. It's why he was agitating to get himself to the Clippers. Daryl Morey, like nobody else ever does, traded for a guy who had money on the table elsewhere, 
said no and just said, I'm going to Philly and I'm going to love it. And I'm, I don't even care about my money. Nobody's done it before. Nobody's done it since. But according to the Sixers, that's what James Harden did. But guess what? He agitated to get over there because he's going to get paid as well. OG Ananobi, another expiring deal. He's going to get paid as well. We see Sacramento couldn't come to a deal with Pascal Siakam, so no deal got done. They didn't just say, oh, let's just do the deal. Let's just make the deal. You know, whatever happens in the offseason, be damned, because that's not how the league operates, okay? So what you just wanted to clear that up. What I'm hearing you saying is James Harden doesn't need to do it in the playoffs in order to get paid. No, he doesn't. Mm. The one exception to the do it in the playoffs rule. <laughs> well, well, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not uh, Steve Ballmer. <laughs> no, it's, it's my it's rule. True. It's not Ballmer's rule. <laughs> it's true. But this moment, these James Harden rants, this is Waz doing it in the playoffs. This is Waz <laughs> in his absolute element. And Justin and I are just a couple of mere coffees over here waiting yeah. on the perimeter, giving him his space. That's what we do. Little liar, Daryl Murray. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we need to talk about the Bucks, who are, we should mention, 25 and 12. Yes. And second in the Eastern Conference. So there are levels to panic watch with certain teams. But one in four since the new year began. Uh, Giannis practically doing like a Kobe shtick every game at this point, like trying to light a fire under his team, trying to get a new Instagram ad seemingly with some of his comments. But I have to say, the one thing that jumped out to me from Giannis after that Rockets loss wasn't the whole thing about the, the cleaning guy needs to clean better, et cetera, et cetera. It was, it was this line. It was that this was not the Milwaukee Bucks he was referring to their defense. This is not who we are. And I'm starting to wonder, Rob, are we sure that Giannis is fully aware that the type of team that he's playing for is no longer like the teams of old? That this is now an offensive team that is going to get by on defense because we used to ding Mike Budenholzer a lot for being so rigid. I'm starting to wonder if like Giannis got a free pass there because it seems like he is not really adjusting to the new scenario. That is who they are. That is what the personnel of this team is. But I think what Giannis is frustrated by, if I had to guess, just based on the way the Bucks have played, what he seems to react to, it's a lot of stuff that's within their power. It's them being the worst transition defense in the league. It's them applying needless pressure on the perimeter in ways that disadvantage him and Brooke and other guys on the back line. It's just mental mistakes. Like you can be an offense first team or an offense leaning team and not do dumb shit on defense. And that's kind of where we're at with the Bucks, where there's coaching decisions being made. There's execution decisions being made. There's effort problems, all of which are trending in the wrong direction defensively. You can't have that. And if you're going to have, you know, some coaching mistakes are inevitable. You're going to make the wrong calls sometimes. Adrian Griffin's a first-year head coach. That's going to happen. The team is what it is in terms of its personnel, and I'm sure we'll talk all about that as far as whether that can be shored up. But you can do better. You can play better than this. And as much as, as bad as the Rockets loss was, the Jazz loss, that's as inexcusable a loss as you're going to find from a contender. And I'm curious, Isaiah, what do you think Will Hardy would say about the Bucks' defense in that game against the Jazz? That was a masterpiece of dog shit. <laughs> I have to agree. <laughs> uh. I, 
I have so many thoughts on the Bucks and Giannis specifically just because, and we floated this thing off mic before that just like Giannis kind of gets a pass for a lot of nonsense that's happened around the Bucks during his era as Bucks franchise player and superstar, some disappointing playoff exits and, you know, just some general weird stuff that's happened to them in, in very big spots. And of course, you know, everybody understands he was sick of Mike Budenholzer. I think most of us were sick of watching the Bucks be Mike Budenholzer's team, but he was absolutely consulted during the coaching search. And so to change the character of the team, you know, management felt like they needed to appease him, right? Um, and so they went and got a coach that they thought would appease Giannis because, and again, people get in my mentions when I go on Bill's show and I explain like, yo, this did not look like a connected group at the in-season tournament. They're like, Giannis never sat in the huddle. I'm like, guys, like, I'm not just watching them do what they do body language-wise at NBA in-season tournament and just saying this, like, I've actually talked to people who might have a pretty good idea as to what the general vibe is over there. I'm not just saying this shit. Like, Also, if your defense is playing this way and you're not frustrated, something is wrong. It's crazy. And again, they, the, like, the defense, again, nobody thought they would be the third best defense in the NBA this year. But 22nd is just unacceptable. There's no reason they have to be this bad. And for me, it's like, yo, Giannis, like, this was your idea. We remember, remember the reports, Nick Nurse was one of the, was the leading candidate for this job. Then out of nowhere, he quote unquote, took himself out of the running. <laughs> if you guys remember this, i.e., they, for whatever reason, it was it, it came out that Nick Nurse was no longer the guy. Um, right. I've heard different reasons as to why they no longer wanted to do it. From what I heard, Giannis wasn't on, on board with it for whatever reason. And I think it was like he didn't feel like having a task manager up there anymore. Which, okay, cool. No problem. Then you get Adrian Griffin in there. And very soon after, everybody's like, this is not what we want either. You know, right. maybe we didn't want the task manager like Bud because he is, by all accounts, Bud is a stickler. Like, he is a stickler for his spacing, for where you're supposed to be on defense, for yes. his principles and adhering to them. On all, Like, he's a stick. He's a task manager. Uh, Adrian Griffin has not been that, and there's no indication that he's been a good coach at all, to be honest. There's no, like, there's no reason to say that. And again, this was Giannis's idea. Then, you know, we could bring it to the offense which third in the NBA looks as good as it does. And let's face it, folks, let's be real. Giannis can drop 50 and 60 points against bad defenses with the best of them. Against the very best teams, that's not going to happen. You need to build some sort of offensive structure. And everybody's like, why aren't they running more pick and roll with Damian Giannis? Because guess what? Giannis doesn't feel like it. And a lot of people, again, he's built his reputation as this team first, selfless, blah, 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 blah. I got news for y'all. Giannis has a very big ego. And he cares about his numbers. And he cares about his stats. 
and he cares about the way he looks. That's why he takes those ugly ass jump shots all the time. That's why he does it. That's why he refuses to be a pick and roll guy because it doesn't like the results. And I would encourage people, and I think I said it on here. Eric Neem of The Athletic, my former colleague, wrote a, uh, a story about the Bucks pick and roll and the lack of pick and roll. And you could just read the Giannis quotes. He's like, I'm still getting double teamed here. What's the point of this? Right? I thought Dame was supposed to make me open. And Dame calmly explains like, yeah, they're double teaming you now, but our guys are good enough shooters. They're going to make those threes. Eventually, they're going to start making hard choices. And we do this so that throughout the long run, we put defenses in a bind. And guess what? They're still not running pick and rolls. I mean, they're they're running them some. It's not like there's been a complete vacuum of pick and roll play there. Are I, they I running think that, them as much as they should be? Well, no, they're not. Okay. And and maybe a lot of teams in the NBA aren't right now. There's a, there's just kind of a general trend toward other kinds of offense right now, away from basic pick and roll stuff. And I think some of it is teams trying to prepare for the playoffs in their own way, trying to diversify what they do, and thinking, as Adrian Griffin has said, that they can just kind of fall back on the pick and roll and it's going to be there for them when it matters, but you got to rep that stuff out. And I, (laughs) you know, we we've talked the pick and roll stuff with the bucks to death. I am not worried about their offense. Really? Ultimately, I know that they have some stuff to improve and shore up, but defense is where their energy is being sapped. It's where the focus of the team is drifting. It's where everyone is getting frustrated and snapping at each other. And it's the reason why a team with a historic offense is kind of, middle of the pack in terms of winning teams by point differential. Like they're, they're a Knicks esque team by point differential. I imagine the bucks want to be better than that. Yeah. I I think they go hand in hand offense in the defense because I'm just perplexed on like, how do you fix one without sacrificing the other? And I do think that loss against the jazz, I think it was notable that Andre Jackson was in there for defense offensively. No one is guarding him. Uh, Chris Dunn was on him at one point. He might've been on the other side of the court just because, and I love Andre Jackson. He is a badass. He is a hustle guy, but the way he shoots, like you'd think he was playing high lie or some other sports because his shot is just, just completely off. Even though the, the numbers this year are very good at low volume, but was my question with the defense, because I, I agree with you, like, where does it start? Because Giannis wants to say that it's effort, but to me, there's still a lot of personnel concerns here that go beyond just guys getting back on transition. Yeah, I mean, let's face it. We got to be honest. Dame Lillard is no Gary Payton. Nobody has ever accused him of that. This, the first that's or just the second? A fact. <laughs> neither. <laughs> yeah, right. um, he's neither on that end. Uh, and But the thing is, I don't think their perimeter defense is such that they have to be bottom 10 in the NBA. You know what I mean? Like, yes, Dame isn't incredible at the point of attack. You need somebody else to take on that responsibility. Some people might say it's Bochamp. Some people might say it's Jackson. Some people might say it's Pat Connaughton. Who knows, right? But there's a construction that allows for your defense to not be bottom 10. What I will say about the offense and how it connects to the defense where I disagree with Rob Mm-hmm. Their offense is great because of individual brilliance. And individual brilliance takes more energy than doing it as a collective and, and complementing one another and using each other's other gifts to make our jobs easier. So to me, I don't see it as separate issues. I don't see what they're doing on offense as separate from what they're doing on defense. There's no actual cohesion to the greatness of their offense. It's just Giannis can beat up on most defenses, most defenses which you don't play in the playoffs, and so can Dame. 
individually. Yeah. And so can Chris Middleton in spots. But against the best teams, they're not going to be able to do that. And in so much as they are, their energy is going to be so sapped that their defense that already doesn't possess elite personnel defensively up and down the roster is going to suffer for it. So to me, I see the failure of their defense as of a piece with their offense. There's definitely interconnectivity there. If only in something we talk about all the time, which is like if you're not getting stops, you're right, Waz. You're going to have to rely on your individual greatness a lot more when it's Giannis walking the ball up, Dame walking the ball up against set defenses. You're going to be trading off in terms of just like your points per possession output when stuff like that is happening. They have to figure out a way to stop somebody. And the transition stuff is its own problem. But honestly, they're dead last in forcing turnovers without even having the benefit of the stable Budenholzer-style positional defense. And there are guys running around and pressuring all over the place who aren't good at it, who aren't pressure defenders. And when you're doing that, you're not pressuring anyway. And like you're not pressuring anything. You're just kind of being out of position, creating problems for guys in the back line. You are just kind of running around and accomplishing nothing. So I don't know how to fix that with the players that they have. I think Jackson is a perfect example of the kind of type that they need more of on the floor, who is not always spotless, not always flawless in terms of his positioning. Like he is a bit of an erratic defender. He is a gambler. He's a guy who can apply pressure. But if you're going to play this way, that's what you need. Not Malik Beasley trying to be that guy because that's that's really not going to pay off for you at all. I just don't know if any of it's going to matter if you're not going to get back. Like they, they have to do that at a higher level. They have to get some kind of stops. Like that jazz game was maddening to watch. Genuinely, I think the closest they got to getting a stop on the jazz was there was a fast break where too many Jazz players tried to dunk an alley-oop at the same time. That was the best defense that the Bucks played in that entire game. And that is, that's unacceptable for a team that should be a lot better than that. Yeah, the, the Jazz looked like the Warriors, like the prime Warriors at times. The amount of threes they were getting up, just like completely unmolested on the perimeter there. I mean, I, I think we need to revisit the Dame trade. Because on the one hand, I think you do the Dame trade every single time. And I think if the results were flowing at this point, I don't think we would be hearing anything from Giannis. Because he does, like unlike other superstars, seem to be motivated by wins. And that's it, right? Not the flashy stuff and all his other stuff. Even the Instagram ads, which he seems to be adding to day day by day. I, I have to wonder, though, if he didn't realize how advantageous or how good drew was for him because drew did things that he didn't want to do or that just propped him up and and didn't force him to change what he was doing like i i think you do the dame trade was but i i wonder if if Giannis wasn't aware of how much he would have to sacrifice and change in order to make this all work i don't think he re- i don't see why we would think he really thought about it in that way I would assume that to him, we lost to the Heat in embarrassing fashion, and so changes should happen. Dame Lillard is a highly decorated player at the same position as Drew Holiday, ostensibly. They both, quote-unquote, point guards. Obviously, the way they function within an NBA game on offense and defense have nothing to do with one another, but they play the same position, and you're thinking, I've upgraded that position. We've flamed out in the playoffs. Um, that's all that matters. I, I find it hard to believe that he's, you know, he went deep into, you know, the concepts of how this would work 
positionally on offense and defense, right? And I don't think he was wrong to assume that they had upgraded the roster. I think what he was wrong about was that he would have to change things about how he played, which I get it. You've won two MVPs. You've won a championship albeit against dubious competition, but you won a championship. All right, all right. (laughs) You won a championship. I understand why you might not want, why you might not see your approach to basketball as one that needs to evolve. And I think that's what we're brushing up against. Giannis's refusal to realize that there needs to be some level of evolution to what he does with and for the Milwaukee Bucks. I think I think this is where we're at a philosophical divide. I just don't look at anything that is happening in Milwaukee right now and point the finger at Giannis and say, this is your fault, or you are not changing enough, or you are not being accountable enough to the result. The reality is, even if they had kept Drew Holiday and never traded for Damian Lillard, which, to your point, Justin, I would do 100 times out of 100. I think you make that trade. I still think their defense would take a step back if this is the style of defense they were going to play. Everyone on the back line is a half beat late. And some of that is guys getting older. Some of that is Brooke Lopez not being great in every matchup anymore. Some of that is Bobby Portis being kind of an abject disaster this season. Even if Drew is spotless and perfect on the ball, all of that stuff behind him is not going to be there in the way it was under Mike Budenholzer because the Bucs don't play that way anymore. See, the the reason why I disagree with you is like the reason they're playing like this is because they got a new coach because this is the guy Giannis wanted. Right, like you, you can't be the the focal point of the organization, and everything basically flows through you. And we say, "Oh, all the good is Giannis, none of the bad is him." No, I'm not like, saying no responsibility, but he is not the problem here. No, I see. I wouldn't categorize Giannis as a quote unquote problem, but I don't think the way he's managed this thing has been steps in the directions of a solution, right? So you can say Giannis is, yeah, he's clearly he's clearly playing incredible. He's clearly playing like objectively. You look at his numbers and the output and say that's elite level output. But we know the regular season is not the playoffs. And this is not going to be good in the playoffs. And all these changes were made for success in the playoffs. And so, you know, all of the all of the changes that were made were reactions to what happened in the playoffs. And I don't know how you could look at what's going on and think there's going to be an improvement in the playoffs on what the disaster was last season. I don't do see how you come to that conclusion. <laughs> they can't do it in the playoffs. I still think this team, as constructed now, could get to the conference finals. And Justin, I think part of the reason why we might sound a little dour on a team that is 25 and 12 and second in the East right now is that when you're trying to imagine how they get past some of the other elite teams in their own conference, there's not a lot of wiggle room to improve this roster. There's not a lot that they're going to be able to add given the resources they have available via trade. Yeah, and that's why I wonder back to my original point where maybe stapling on the team of old or stapling Dame onto the team of old and kind of just expecting to do some of the things that you did before is kind of the original sin here. It's not necessarily Giannis or each individual guys. It is about the collective. It's about the identity of this team. And I almost wonder, because they have nothing else to trade, 
you trade a foundational piece, like, for instance, Brooke Lopez, and just embrace the fact that you are an offensive dynamic team and the defense is going to kind of go, you could turn it on in the playoffs. Now, the type of guys you would want to bring in ostensibly is like a three and D sort of guy. Those guys are really hard to find on the market. And on top of that, as you guys mentioned, Brooks not shooting that well this season looks a step slow. What are the type of teams that are even going to want to trade for him? But if I'm looking at the big board, I want to be a little bit more flexible, trade Brooke, get a wing in, and then let's see how this looks. And let's just clobber teams with offense. Like for instance, Dame has done for years and years and years. But they're already doing that. They're already clobbering teams with offense. Clobber they're good more. on. I, I agree with. I agree with with Waz's point that they're good on offense for the regular season. I worry in the regu- in the playoffs if we're going to get sludgy again and if some of these issues are going to be more important. It's possible. It's just hard to look right now and say we're kind of bumping up against the limits of what teams can do offensively. Like they're not going to get much more efficient than 120 points per 100 possessions in the regular season. I take your point that the playoffs are different. I take your point that the execution is going to have to be sharper. There's going to have to be more of a comprehensive team impact. Middleton's contributions as kind of a mediator, I think, are important. Some of the progress we've seen from Giannis and Brooke both on the role finding teammates with passing, I think, has been helpful. But those teammates are either offense-only players or defense-only players, which is kind of the issue right now. Or or they're not even useful altogether in some games, which is a much bigger problem. Let me put this to you guys a different way. Um, There were points last season where the Lakers' defense looked ridiculously horrible. The transition, the, the typical regular season malaise LeBron team stuff that we've seen so many freaking times, I can't even count. Like, you know, second edition Cavs stuff. Some of those defenses in the regular season, it turned into laughable stuff, right? But whatever, the Lakers showed that last year. And then the playoffs came and they became overwhelming. They just, like against the Warriors and the Grizzlies specifically, they became a juggernaut on defense. Where it's like, holy shit. How are people supposed to get good offense against these guys, right? Do we think the Bucs are capable of that kind of switch? No. Absolutely not. And, <laughs> so and they're, they're not going to benefit at all from the rotation tightening that other teams are going to do. When other teams stop playing their worst players, the Bucs are kind of already trying to do that. So there's not going to be any benefit for them there. Yeah, I think right now the Bucs are overwhelming with talent. And I don't think it's a coincidence, for instance, that they've lost all three games that Dame has not played in because it is a, a lot of times just Dame and Giannis just being too much being, for that. And I think at a point you, you could win a lot of playoff games that way. These are two top 10, whatever, 15 players in the league. I, I just don't think there's a foundation for good offense. And you could say that's coaching, that's maybe utilizing the personnel. I personally wonder if we had different personnel, if that would just augment things enough. Do you, Rob, what do you think about the idea of moving Brooke for something else? I think it's a realistic thing you have to talk about, mostly because none of the other options are going to get you anything that moves the needle. That's where we're at. It's If your trade scenario is Bobby Portis-centric, if it's like a couple of second round picks, which is literally the only picks that Milwaukee can trade at this point, what are you really getting? You know, maybe you're getting a veteran guy in the last year of his deal that his other team doesn't want to bring back. 
but you're not getting Alex Caruso. You're not getting Dorian Finney-Smith. You're not getting the guys that we talk about as being trade targets on this show. And the other problem with trading Brooke, and this is something that has to be said and underlined and emphasized, Milwaukee needs a backup big right now. You take <laughs> yeah. Brooke Lopez out, I, I think it can get a, I think it can get a, look, here's the thing. The Bucks can only get so much better offensively. They can get worse defensively. And we've seen it in particular when Giannis has played the five, they've been even worse. So if you're making Giannis a full-time five, or you're hoping that Bobby can step into that role, or you're trying to pull someone off the scrap heap, this defense can get worse. Bobby Portis, get your ass in, in the center position. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I. Man, he's been I, so the, bad. The idea of Giannis as a full time five, I I don't think he's going for that. Um, he doesn't want it. He's he's not going for that. And then you know Bobby Port, like the big man rotation would just fall completely apart. And I think they have to lean on their size. Like it's the only way they're going to generate a decent defense is by leaning on the size that they have. They just haven't been able to effectively leverage this size this season. And some people would be like, well, that's how you give up a bunch of threes and blah, blah, blah. I don't buy that. I think a more carefully coordinated defense, you know, a more opportunistic switching at the wings with the back line doing what they do can can figure out how to stitch together again. We're not talking about the bad boy Pistons, guys. Like, respectable defense, not legendary defense, a respectable one, a not top, a not bottom 10 one. I think they have enough to do that, but there needs to be, you know, again, some collaboration and cohesion from the group. There needs to be some buy-in. There needs to be a vision that is coherent. Um, And so far, that has not been the case. Sorry, Adrian Griffin. Yeah, if you think you can't play big and even play a good amount of drop and still contest the three-point line, I would like to you to watch the Minnesota Timberwolves play basketball because yes. they do this exact thing every single game. And they have some resources that the Bucs don't. You yes. know, a Jaden McDaniels is a guy that Milwaukee Anthony does not Edwards, have. Slow-mo. But, but they have guys like Mike Conley making it work with his yeah. old legs, right? They have, they have you know, Kyle Anderson making the absolute most of his athletic gifts and talents, and he is instinctive in a way that Milwaukee's supporting cast is not. Those are the kinds of players that the Bucs are really missing. Well, I think the other advantage to going a little bit smaller would be getting in a perimeter defender that you can count on, because I do wonder how much of this is just exposing guys like a Chris Middleton and a Malik Beasley in switching sort of situations, having to force them to go and guard players they're probably not suited for. Like, let's be honest, Milton at this point, probably in the Clay Thompson zone in terms of defense. He's probably a four. He'd probably be better off deployed as a four. And so I almost wonder if you're benefiting your personnel, taking a little bit more off of a Malik Beasley. Some of these other guys, we could hide them a little bit better if we had another guy to take that on. But again, those are the most expensive, toughest guys to find these days. But also, and folks can drink as at home because I'm about to invoke the Nuggets, but the way that they've incorporated their young guys can happen because they have an overall sense of themselves already. And guys can picks. try to... Just helps. Sure, but I'm just saying, yeah. like, they ha- the Bucks have young guys that they drafted on the roster 
And if they had a more unifying theme to what they do every day, it'd be easy to incorporate newer, younger pieces, not as, you know, seasoned pieces and have them learn on the go. But because this is basically a free-for-all at the moment that's getting by on pure talent and pure talent alone, it's not game plan. It's not you know, X's and O's. It's not veteran know-how. It's overwhelming people with your great talent and nothing else. I think they'd be able to, in, um, you know, incorporate some of these young guys more effectively and sort of handhold them along the way because they had a system, <laughs> you know? And you know where else that hurts was is in reclamation projects. The, right. the kinds of guys that you're going to be able to get for a second-round pick or a couple of second-round picks via trade who maybe didn't work out with their other team, that's easy to do when you have something you can fall back on and a, a defined role where everyone knows clarity. what you're running, how yes. to play. Absolute clarity. And the Bucks have had that for years in ways they do not now. And it changes who they can realistically look at. Like th there's players, you know, maybe this is just because we were just talking about Jaden McDaniels, but Jalen McDaniels has been a mess in Toronto, out of the rotation. <laughs> I could talk myself into taking a gamble on a guy like Jalen McDaniels if I trusted what we were doing as a team. Yes. But if you're a general manager, if you're a coach, why would you throw a player who's been unsuccessful into a team that doesn't know how to play together? It, it do just doesn't a work. Flyer when you're a flyer. Yeah. So you're saying you would fire Adrian Griffin? Oh my God. Hell yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Talking around because, it, so. because again, and we, you know, and we all hear stuff before it happens, right? Um, right now, we're hearing the Darvin Ham stuff in L.A. It's not going great right now. We're hearing it. Before they fired uh, Black in Cleveland, we heard about it. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, we hear stuff. Like, I've heard the Griffin thing has not been a rousing success. It hasn't been met with enthusiasm. He does not have some strong belief within that locker room. That's just what it is. And if your aspiration is championship, you need to do something now. You know, and that's where I kind of respect what they do on the NFL side. Just the idea that you could fire Bill Belichick is <laughs> insane. <laughs> but it's also like, fuck that. It's like a sense of urgency. Like everything freaking matters right now. And for the Bucks. You are in a championship mode right now. You can't be wasting time with a novice amateur coach that nobody respects in your locker room and there's a championship on the line. And that's why we're talking about the Bucs in this way. They are better than the vast majority of the teams we will talk Period. about on this podcast all season, but they're playing for something different. And if you're playing for that, a coach like Adrian Griffin with where he is right now is hurting your operation. It's hurting your operation on a night-to-night -night competitive level. It's hurting your operation on a development level. But... If he is David Blatt, I don't know who Ty Lue is. I, mm. I, I'm like, am I handing the keys to Joe Prunty and thinking this is going to go dramatically Oof. differently? All due Oof. respect Stotts. to Joe Prunty. Oh. All of a sudden, Stotts just walks off the court, never to be seen again. That was that well, was interesting. This is I, ooh, this certainly feels I like, like ooh, why like those sorts of this. things tend to happen. There's a reason why early, inexperienced head coaches are very skeptical sometimes of their veteran assistance. And it's because yep. that's how you look at the escape hatch when you're about to be pushed out of it. That's why I push Rob out of the co-hosting chair. 
extremely rude. You just wrestled <laughs> it away. You make all the decisions now. I don't like uh, it. Isn't that wait? Isn't that what you did to Chris Ryan? Wasn't Chris Ryan the original up here? I, I think he retired <laughs> from NBA <laughs> podcasting. <laughs> But that's yeah. what you would say as someone who sabotaged it. <laughs> right, right. You were out here like slashing Chris's tires to prevent him from getting into the studio. Just anything you could yep. do, Justin, to seize how's this a, podcast for yourself. How's Adrian Griffin as a podcast host? Is there like a swap we can make with Doc Rivers? Get in on all the NBA buzzer beaters, ankle breakers, and tomahawk jams with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get 150 bucks in bonus bets guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to get in on the action. So we're looking at Wednesday night's slate in the NBA. And what do you know it? We've got the toilet bowl, Spurs and Pistons. I'll be honest, I like the Spurs against my better judgment. But have you seen... The Pistons lately, good lord, they don't have Cade Cunningham in there anymore. I know they won the one game the other day, but I don't have much faith in that team. So put it all on the Spurs tonight. With FanDuel, the app is so easy to use and there are so many different ways to bet, like live same game parlays. Find bets in the new Explore tab. Make a parlay in the Parlay Hub, the best way to find popular parlays and more. So visit FanDuel.com slash RingerNBA and make your first bet a layup. FanDuel, official partner of the NBA, must be 21 plus and present in select states. $5 pregame money line wager required. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. This episode is supported by State Farm. Man, I remember when I first got into a car accident, It was pure frustration because I did not have State Farm. And now that I do have State Farm, it is an exclamation of pure joy. But the only words that you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode is brought to you by Arby's. It's 3 p.m. and dinner is still hours to come. Maybe lunch didn't quite hit the spot. That's where the new two-for-five-dollar chicken wraps from Arby's come in. Available in ranch, barbecue, and honey mustard. They're perfect for the afternoon snack attack or as an add-on to your meal. Arby's two-for-five-dollar chicken wraps are here for a limited time at participating locations. Visit an Arby's near you or order ahead on the Arby's app. All right, why don't we um, move along? Let's talk about the Grizzlies. Uh, unfortunately, John Morant out after, what was it? Nine games. Huge disappointment. I, for one, was very excited to start watching the Grizzlies again. It seemed like they could put a little bit of pressure on teams like the Warriors, the Rockets, some of these other teams uh, still in the play and mix here. So that's disappointing because we won't get as as full-throated uh, a play and push at this point. Um I don't know what else to say. Just generally, I want to talk a little bit about the ripple effects, Rob, but you wrote about this for the site. This is this is pretty much a lost season for the Grizzlies at this point. It does feel like a lost season, but I think if we're going to start somewhere, we have to start with them having two pretty awesome wins against the Suns and the Mavs without Ja, and the second one without Jaron Jackson Jr. too. Like Those are 
those are huge performances for a team in this position. That's genuinely inspiring stuff, and I think bodes well for what the spirit of the team is going to be for the rest of the year. But there's a difference between giving them that kind of credit and thinking that this is going to be something they're going to be able to do all the time with the talent that they have. I don't think this team is going to be 6-19 and 19 bad, which I think is what they were during Jaws' suspension, in part because like Marcus Smart and Luke Kennard were out for a lot of that time. So you had a lot of overloading injuries, not only there, but in the front court. I just can't imagine this is a group that's going to be much more competitive in a way that's going to make an actual run in the conference. So if that's not going to happen, this does feel like a lost season because we've seen what Desmond Bain is in this kind of lead role. We've seen what Jaron Jackson Jr. is without John Morant on the floor. We know what these guys can basically do. And all the young guys on the roster have already gotten their shots to do stuff and to prove themselves. And we know at this point which one of them, like which of them are up to that task. So what else are we doing the rest of the way? What what are we playing for if we're the Memphis Grizzlies? Like I don't know what there is to be accomplished in a situation like this when some of the development has already been done. And on the younger end of the spectrum, if you take out kind of their their core star guys, what are the big jumps we're expecting? from Zaire Williams at this point. A lot, of, a lot of young prospects who have kind of hit the wall in terms of what they can be. Yeah, I, I mean, unless you got some things that you still want to see from Aldama and Conchar, I, you know. I mean, I always do, but <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to watch it. I just don't know that I expect anything different than what I've already seen. Also, even the big dogs who are still relatively young, right, um, like Jaron Jackson and, and Bain, um, do we think we have more to learn about their games? I don't believe so. Um, I think they're 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 gonna fine tune who they are and what they do, but I think we've seen who these guys are gonna be as NBA players, and they're both fantastic, wonderful players. Um, to me, you know, it's a it, it becomes about them and then shouldering the burden of what this season ultimately becomes. And that's going to matter because the, the these guys are going to be good again next year. Yes. Right. Um, and that's why I don't like I don't know if you do like a fire sale because you might want some of these guys who aren't on expirings to still be part of what you do next season. And they'll have some money to do some, you know, a couple of things in the offseason. And so to me, it's not, you know, it's a lost season in terms of they're not going to go to the playoffs. Um, and even if they somehow by some miracle squeaked in, they wouldn't accomplish anything. And so, you know, it's lost in that sense. But I think, you know, just as a pride and as a culture organizationally, you know, I don't think they should go into let's dump this season in the complete trash can for any reason. Like, if you take yourself seriously as an outfit, you know, you got guys got to show up and still compete. And that has to be the tone set, the message set from up top that we're a serious outfit. Our best player is gone for the season, but we're no slouches. We're going to come out and, and give people hell the rest of the way. Yeah, I, I think the fascinating thing going forward, if you want to call it fascinating for the Grizzlies, is figuring out who we're going to keep and which guys we can probably move along because there's also a money concern here. If the Grizzlies bank a lottery pick as a result of this, which can help in a lot of ways, probably gives them the sort of talent upgrade they would probably be looking for on the market to be trading for around this time if Morant was around. Um, it's just going to compound 
the financial concerns because Bain's extension is going to kick in. You have Jaron Jackson's money. You have Morant's money. That's a lot of money for any team, let alone one of the smallest markets in the league. And so I'm looking, Rob, at some of the main players here. And yeah, we could talk about the Conchars and the Laravias and some of the young guys who have been coming along, maybe, sort of. But I'm kind of looking at the top line here. I'm wondering if Marcus Smart, the guy they brought in to kind of be their new Dylan Brooks, can fill that role because he's making 20 or so million over the next two years each year. Um, decent money, not not like arduous, but I wonder if he's the guy you think fits that role long term with this team. I honestly don't know. And there's a reason why the Marcus Smart trade machine wars have already begun. Because if you were going to trade someone off this team in the middle of the season now that Ja is going to be out, you don't want to trade another point guard. You don't want to trade another ball handler. Having someone like Smart around has been really important. And we should also say, not I mean, the Grizzlies, they won so hard against the Mavs that Marcus Smart dislocated his finger celebrating a made three, which is incredible shit I've never seen before. I just don't know. Like To me, the Smart move the Marcus smart move, I should say, is trading him in the offseason. If you're going, if you are intent on trading him, if you're intent on changing your vision of that Dylan Brooks role, I would wait. Get through this season, keep playing hard, keep competing in these games, as Waz said. And Marcus Smart's a really important part of that. It's also a very important part of not overtaxing Desmond Bain, which is something that the Grizzlies have gotten better at over the course of the year. Having other guys bring the ball up the floor, having other guys initiate offense so Bain can release off of it. That stuff is is pretty crucial in managing 82. And the longer you get into this stuff and the more depressing the games get without John Morant, the more you're going to want another ball handler around for a team that, that really doesn't have a lot of them. So I would keep Marcus Smart for now, even including the money. But it's something they're going to have to look at, whether ultimately like the John Morant, Marcus Smart, Desmond Bain perimeter trio is something you want on the floor in, in critical situations. And if that's going to be enough size and if the money of that is going to make sense. Yeah, I, I mean, what do you even trade Marcus Smart for? Some contenders, 28th pick? Like, is that something that's worth it so you could draft a kid who's never going to help John Morant do anything? They also, it should be noted, I think gave up two first-round picks to get him. So mm-hmm. you wouldn't think they're just going to turn around and take some subpar package. Yeah, it just it, it seems like he should be back. Um, and like Rob said, if if in the offseason somebody wants to be like, you know what, Marcus Smart is the missing piece. He's an expiring deal at that point. Oh, snap. Yeah, let's let's whip him up. All right, cool. But eh, I don't know. I I I tend to think they should just be fine with respectability, man. Um, and not just turn your organization into a laughing stock for an entire year. Give your fans there something to want to show up for, which matters. That damn gate matters in those markets, as we hear every single time there's a collective bargaining agreement. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm against the idea that they should tear this down. Yeah, not necessarily tear down. It's more like getting ahead of what you think will be your inevitable core around Morant when he is healthy. I agree, though. Uh, especially you want to see who you can get where that lottery pick land. Because if you get a Marcus Smart type, maybe it makes more sense to lean into that guy and then trade Smart. But I, I do think Smart would be an interesting person on the open market. The Bucks, for instance, don't have anyone to trade. But like if Marcus Smart was on the Bucks, that would make sense. Like the Lakers, a team, I, 
I don't know what they would give up, for instance, but like that's another one where he could he could fit a lot of different situations. So if the value is there, I think it would make sense if you don't think he fits where you are long term. There's also something interesting about where Memphis is in the standings as it relates to their eventual first round pick. The silver lining of losing John Morant, and it's a pretty scant silver lining considering how important John Morant is to the team and how good they looked when he was on the floor. But now you're kind of aiming and angling for what you hope could be a top five or six pick. Realistically, though, there's not a lot of room for Memphis to drop down in the standings and get a better pick than roughly where they are right now, which is with the sixth best odds. Maybe they could get ahead of, and I say ahead of meaning worse than Portland. I don't think this group of players for the Grizzlies could or would do that. Like they seem better and better assembled and they play better together than the Blazers do. Have you seen Duop Wreath lately, my friend? <laughs> Why are you even asking me this? <laughs> I'm insulted. I really like him. I know. I'm also insulted, Justin, that you know, you in our rundown, you made a nice little little list of the Grizzlies role players. You didn't even put Vince Williams on this list. Because he's a keeper. <laughs> We know that he is okay. a keeper. <laughs> okay, <laughs> right. that's, that's that's a good save. Tillman but, uh, can go. <laughs> Laravia, you know, you could flip a coin, but Vince Williams is a, you know, <laughs> he's start he's, that guy. he's untradeable. Like <laughs> lock that man in. And and you yeah. know, honestly, just just to tie a bow on this thing, this reminds me in a way of that lost season the Warriors had when Steph got hurt. And then at the end, you know, Draymond just not playing hard and to certain strategic ankle tweaks and calf strains and all of that. And you position yourself to try to get the best situation that you can. But you don't just turn your team into the laughing stock of the league. That's all. No. And and to get a better pick, they would have to be the laughing stock of the league. Because the top four teams in terms They're of lottery cemented. odds right now, yeah. oh my gosh, they are you gotta be real bad it's, to it's crack that group. Stone. I think so. The Detroit Pistons are like one game against the Raptors away from like 30-something straight losses. So good luck catching them. And this is where probably the lottery odds come into play, too. You saw what happened to the Pistons last year where they go from the top to fifth. Maybe uh, the Grizzlies get a Zion Williamson-like bounce and go up to one or two. Um, Let's talk about the Pacers, though, quickly here, because Halliburton, not out as long, apparently reevaluated in two weeks uh, grade one hamstring strain, but that's two pretty important weeks at a time when the Pacers still kind of figuring out who they are here after that sort of meteoric run to start the season. Rob, do you think you've been around the team a bunch over the past few years? Do you think this changes the calculus for them? Like going into the deadline, do you think this means maybe we don't look at a Siakam, maybe actually we look to become sellers get rid of Buddy Heald, play for the future? Or do you still think this team is all in on the now? Well, let me question the premise. Why would this turn them into sellers? Because by all accounts, Halliburton having a grade one sprain and is being projected to only be out a couple weeks is great news. That's a great result for what looked to be a pretty dangerous injury when it happened. So I'm, yeah. if I was the Pacers, I'd be feeling pretty good about the news that we're maybe getting Tyrese Halliburton back in a couple of weeks. It doesn't make those couple of weeks easier to survive, and they may lose a lot in the interim. But if you're getting that guy back, and the defense honestly has been surprisingly okay of late, hmm. I will say this. Since, since January 1st, the Pacers have played five games. 
all of which were against some of the most prolific offenses in NBA history. Two against the Bucks, two against the Celtics, one against the Hawks. Not only did Indiana go four and one in those games, but they played roughly league average defense, which is no small thing against that level of competition. And I think a lot of it is that kind of sized up starting lineup has really been working for them. Yeah, I I could see them maybe getting out of the Siakam sweepstakes as a result of this, that maybe this isn't the year for them to really put the like foot on the gas pedal. That might be the difference here. But I mean, Heald, for instance, is an interesting one, if only because they've demoted him to the bench fully now after Rick Carlisle had like the settle all family business. I'm only going to play guys or start guys who are going to try really hard. And that's probably what helped the defense in certain ways. Um, do you see anything? Well, try there? try really hard on defense, we should say. Buddy Heald's always running very hard on <laughs> offense. We, we know true. this to be true. That's true. But healed is that someone you're looking i guess they'd be looking to trade him regardless it could be he you know he was someone where the extension talks kind of broke down there was a little bit of a gap between healed and the pacers in terms of what they wanted the number to be but from what i've heard it wasn't an insurmountable gap it wasn't so far apart you couldn't possibly seeing these sides reconcile in free agency to bring him back potentially and even though he's on the bench it's pretty important to what they do They've still been pretty successful with him and Halliburton on the floor together. That's a partnership that means a lot to that team's offensive execution. They're going to need, if not healed, another kind of potent offensive player to bring off their bench. So if you're trading him away, you would hope to be getting something kind of like Buddy Healed shaped anyway. In that case, I might just hold on to him. I keep some pretty good vibes going for this team. Keep, keep rolling in the way you've been rolling, which is punching up the defense of your starting five and figuring out how to get more size on the floor around this group. I think there's enough to like about what the Pacers are doing that I'm not looking to make wholesale changes or or even kind of changes to critical rotation pieces right now, unless there's a Siakam conversation, unless we're swinging big. If we're just making moves around the periphery, Buddy Healed as a personality and player is probably more valuable and important to the Pacers than an equivalent plug-in role player would be too. Yeah, I... This season got completely derailed last year when Halliburton missed time. Um, Although I think this year's version of them with Halliburton is even better than last year. Obviously, he's better, but the additions that they've made have been so crucial. Some of the young guys stepping up in ways, you know, Isaiah's favorite player, Neesmith, looking looking like a, a nice little defensive addition to a team that's completely bereft of any other <laughs> um, defensive intense, intensity. Uh, I, I don't know that they should be sellers. I'd like to see how long Halliburton's going to be out. Because to me, once he comes back, they hit the ground running again. He's just been that incredible. He's been damn near top five in the East level player this year. And so... I, I don't think they should do a teardown. Obviously, I think to trade Miles Turner, by the way, at this point, with that big man rotation. It, can't do dude, it. Dude, you just can't. And this becomes a complete and utter joke with Turner gone and Halliburton. Like, this is, we're getting the Detroit Pistons level if they do something like that um, with Halliburton gone. So I'd like to see them stand pat. I'd like to see them go to the postseason this year with this group who's just been competitive against some of the best teams in the entire Eastern Conference all year while they've had Halliburton. They've given the Celtics hell. They've freaking just beat up the Bucs, like just smacked them around. 
pretty there's there's just no argument towards that. Philly's gotten hell. Like I I really want to see what they could do in the postseason with this group. So I'm not in favor of a teardown. I just like to see how long Halliburton's going to be gone. Yeah, in a way, how long Halliburton is ultimately out, and it is reevaluated. We should mention in two weeks, which just means yes. that they're they might update us in two weeks. Most teams just forget to actually update you once they once they even give that timeline so and this is the sort of injury that does has a tendency to linger so maybe over the next two weeks that gives them clarity on which way to go in ways that we don't have right now well in the history that was described in terms of what happened to the pacers last season when halliburton went out i think would lead them to be overly cautious with a soft tissue injury return so Mm -hmm. we should realistically expect more than two weeks and during that time That's when I wonder what's going to happen to the starting five. It's not exactly a plug-and-play situation with their other guards, and in particular, the idea of a Neesmith, Jalen Smith, Miles Turner front court That works because you've got the best passer in basketball right now making it work, putting those guys in good spots. The offense has been clicking even with all that size on the floor. You put Andrew Nembhard or TJ McConnell in that role. We're We're not clicking anymore. I think we're stuck Don't in the mud dare. a little bit. <laughs> Don't you dare talk about Nemhart like that. I was, I was wondering who you were referring you to. talk about TJ. I can't <laughs> wait to see them TJ jerseys in the heartland and basketball crazed Hoosier True. State, Indiana. I'm excited for it, Rob. It will not surprise you one bit, Waz, to know that he is wildly popular in Indianapolis. <laughs> wildly we just all popular. wear TJ jerseys? To the well, show. Hey, let's do like it. This. Yeah, let's do it. Or maybe just okay. Pacers Legends. Like, can I get a Jonathan Bender jersey to wear to this thing? Chris oh, Mullen for me. Come on, you got to represent Brooklyn, baby. Come on now. Is there an Smiths? Andrew Bynum? Andrew Bynum Pacers jersey? Was that ever made? <laughs> Ooh, that's a good one. Uh, yeah, by the way, still still selling those tickets. HiFiIndy.com. H-I-F-I-Indy.com. Uh, why don't we wrap it there? Thank you to Ben Cruz on production. Thank you to Isaiah Blakely. We'll be back on Sunday, same time, same place. We'll see you. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Kentucky, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, Vermont, and Virginia. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 533-42 in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut. 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas. 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.NET in West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit GamblingHelplineMA.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York. This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, enter the kingdom in IMAX on May 10th and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now.